Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Long River Podcast. This is Graham Rhodes, and today I'm speaking with Charles Yu, a partner of Pillar Legal. We're going to be talking about gaming industry regulation in China. Welcome to the podcast, Charles. Hi, Graham. Before we go any further, I just have to give a disclaimer. Nothing in this podcast is investment advice, so please don't take it as such. With that, Charles, welcome to the show. It's a real honor to have you here. Could you please uh, introduce yourself and let us know a bit about Pillar Legal? Uh, sure. So my name is Charles Yu, and you can also call me Charles. I'm a partner of Pillar Legal and also the head of Pillar Legal's Shanghai office. We are boutique international law firms. We have offices in San Francisco, Bay Area, and also Shanghai. The firm was founded in 2008, and our primary um, practice area is related to the game industries. We have attorneys in the U.S. and also China, and we are familiar with the regulatory environment for both countries, and most of our clients are game companies. We do have our clients on many game regulatory devices and also helping with cross-border game licensing, publishing, and also M&A transactions in the game industry. I think we were all quite surprised by the degree of regulation announced in China in 2021, in the tech industry especially. And Tencent and uh, the gaming industry were right at the heart of that. So Pillar Legal has just released this excellent uh, sixth edition of its uh, primer on regulation in the Chinese gaming industry. Can you help us please to understand the regulations of 2021, what they were and uh, how we should see them in context? Let me, first of all, let me give you a brief background on why we write this, this legal premier. The reason that we write this legal premier is because China law and the regulations are usually very murky. And for foreign game developers, when they read the actual rules written on the book, the people probably cannot understand what the actual means or what the government goes for that. And so it, it is very important to understand how the rules are implemented in practice. That would be the key for a foreign game developer to understand. And the, the implementation of the rules also sometimes be more murky and driven by the government policy. And also the government policy is uh, campaign styled. So the practitioner needs to pay very close attention to the government policy and attitude to specific industry. In 2021, I don't think the China government has specifically cracked down the game industry, but I believe in the middle of 2021, China government released a lot of rules, laws, policies related to the minor protections. And uh, many of the rules related to the minor protection are related to the real name registrations and the time limitations that would affect the game that is released or to be released in China. And this policy specifically requires some special functions to be incorporated into the games before they can get approvals. With that, with August 2021 or July 2021, the game approval has been suspended for about eight months and reopened in April 2022. So that's the brief background of the, the crackdown of the game industry in 2021. The way you describe this, Charles, it sounds very dispassionate and rational. But I remember in the summer of 2021, the rhetoric around this move was quite the opposite. 
People were describing games as spiritual opium. There was a lot of concern about the way a historic figure, UFA, was portrayed in a game and the impact this was having on young people. Can you comment on the political rhetoric and how foreigners or people outside of the industry should interpret that in contrast to the much more dispassionate motivation that you just described earlier? Yeah. So I think as I previously I just mentioned before, China laws is murky and the actual practice is basically driven by the government policy at specific times. And the example you just mentioned, I read that our articles and I think it was written by a national background media, um, criticized the, the harmful that video game brings to the young people in China. I think at that same time period, the government is not that supportive to the game industry and it does require the game industry to take more responsibilities to help parents in China from preventing kids to addicted to video games. Okay. So would it be fair to say then that there's a policy cycle and timing of changes in policy depends a lot on this cycle? Yeah. And also the one thing to input. China government always say they are responsible to the people in China. So we, based on my 10 years experience, we have seen if there are too many negative voice against one particular industry, the government will always respond to that. So before 2021, most of people's attitude to the video games, they do not think it is a good thing especially for the people who has kids. They do believe the video games have significant impact on the kids study. And they do think game companies need to prevent kids from playing games. Yeah, I agree with you. I think the policy itself is very rational and much needed. It's just really like the reason for its timing confused or shocked a lot of people, myself included. But let's move on from the kind of politics of this. And let's talk a bit more about the licensing regime again. So we talked about licenses for new games. Can you share with us, like, what are the quotas for new games or what are some of the considerations that the regulator will have before issuing a license for a new game? Yeah, sure. So I think the primary thing that uh, before the government issuing, the, issuing a game approval is reviewing the content of a game to make sure there will be not an illegal content in the game. And I think the China law, they do have some very general principle. For example, the content shall not violate China's constitutional laws. And also, for example, shall not have content that is not consistent with history. Everything is very murky. <laughs> if you just take a look at the rules, you probably do not understand how they will be strictly implemented. Mm -hmm. I think in 2016, there's Game Industry Association. They released a specifications on the game content and how each of these general principles will be interpreted and what kind of content is not allowed. For example, like the content with violence, with for those, for those kind of things will be implied as a violent content and will not be allowed on that. But I think the content review standards is developing each year. 
for example, I think recently the most recent update is that there will be no boys' love, the element of boys' love in the games, but that one was not, um, we, we, we do not have, do not see that in the game content specifications. Okay. So I think in the primer, you talk about a couple of other characteristics that the regulator would look at. Those include ideological orientation, original design, production quality, cultural connotation, and development progress. Can, can you tell us a little, about, a little bit about those? Yeah, for those, well, this one is actually, because this is the new requirements issued in, I think, after 2018 government reorganizations. And these standards are very general. And I think just lay out some of the principles that would then one expertise review the games and how they are, how they are scoring like the games based on the, these new standards. I think for these standards, for these elements, the standards are very general. And I think the reviewers will have the great discriminations to score the game for each element. Right. So there's a lot of discretion involved. And you've said several times that the process is very murky, which I interpret to me that's very subjective. Yes, I agree. How do game developers approach the process of licensing then? How do they ensure that they maximize the chance of, of success? Yeah, so China government, they will regularly hold trainings to China game companies employees to tell them what, are, what content are allowed and what content are not allowed so that they, these people after training, they can tell those new policies or new requirements to their game development team so that they can change the game element before submission to the game approvals. And, but it would be a little bit hard for foreign game company to, to understand these. We have a Shanghai office and we have tried to contact the local game industry association to see if we can be a member but they said no. This association is only open to the local China game company. So for the foreign game companies, the only thing that they probably can have is the public news. Sometimes the public news will have disclosed some of the reviewing standards and also some of the written rules and also the game content specifications that I just said. And also foreign game companies is not allowed in China to operate and publish a game by themselves. So under the China laws, they have to cooperate with China local publisher. And it's the China local publisher's responsibility to make sure the foreign games content meets the China game content censorship requirement. If I try to summarize, it sounds like there's a licensing regime for new games to ensure quality of the content, let's call it. And at the same time, there's been a move to protect minors from becoming addicted to games. So these seem to be the two big shifts in the last couple of years. Can I ask, what kind of statistics do you know, Charles, about like the success rate of companies applying for new game licenses? Do you know how many are approved, what percentage, and on average, like how long it takes to get a new game license? So China government, they released the approved game every month. So right now, basically for domestic games and every couple of months for the foreign games. <laughs> but the tricky thing is that we do not know how many games has been submitted for yeah. approvals. Yeah. Well, that statistic don't have that. But based on my 
understanding. I don't think it's a one-time mission process. So normally, a company, they finalize game and submit to game to the government's approval. The government will have to review the games and then they will provide comments and provide some suggestions on how to revise the games in order to get the approvals. So there will be back and forth. So sometimes uh, the review process can be very long, especially for the foreign game. Yeah, I remember reading that some of the Korean developers had waited years to get a license. Yeah, so we previously we had we helped one client to look into these issues before 2021 game suspension. We checked some of the games and we talked with some game developers on how long they got again approvals. So the average for domestic games, the game developer by the game studios, it normally takes six to eight months to get the game approvals. But for the foreign games, it not, it's, I think it took much longer. It's around, and I think the average time to get the, the foreign game approval before 2021 suspension is around 12 to 18 months. Okay, so it's considerably longer. I wanted to ask as well. So we talked about one of the key changes being the anti-addiction measures for minors. Do you think that's been a success? Has the industry managed to actually stop younger people from playing games so much? So, so let me first answer your question briefly. I don't think very success. The reason is because there are so many ways for the kid to circumvent these restrictions. Because right now, every parent they have small mobile phones, and most of the parents they do have game account and then they do pay the games. So for the kids, they just do not need to use their own ID card. They just use their parents' phones. And they mm. can still play the games and, uh, and still can play the game without the time limitations. But I think from the government's perspective, that's all the things they can, the government and the game company can do. So if the kids, they use their parents' ID to register a game account, then there's no way for, or it's, it's very hard for the game company to, to see if, if, because game companies, they won't know if, if this an adult or a kid to use adult ID when they have the game account registration process. Yeah, and presumably kids who use their parents' IDs must have sought permission from their parents. So the parents can't complain to the government if that's the case. So actually, uh, for the minor protection and the real name registration and also anti-addiction, they are not a new thing. So China government started requiring this since 2007, 15 years. But previously, all these requirements is not, it's not very strictly implemented. Previously, I think 10 years ago, we had an informal conversation with a government officer in MOC, the then one of the regulators of the game industry in China. What they told us is that it is at that time, 10 years ago, it's very hard to implement this. Because the government, there's no way for them to check if the ID number that the player submitted to the game company is real or not. Because China has 1.4 billion people. And uh, to save all these ID data, it requires a huge server. And 10 years ago, there's no server can have this amount of data. And also, 
at that time, checking an ID card, if it is a real or not, it requires to pay by running B to check. And for example, if a game company has millions of game players, they cannot pay this amount of cash or this money to check their ID card. But with the technology growth, and the, right now, it has become possible to, for the government to, to check that. And I think the government, one of their real requirements is that every game, they need to incorporate uh, an FDK with anti-addiction system and real name registration system into the games before submitting to for the game approval. Well, I, I read in the primer as well, Charles, that privacy is now an issue. Can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, privacy is a new problem for the game industry, especially for China. This question may be more sensitive than the other game companies in other side of the world. And one of the reasons is that, uh, for example, after, I mean, after 2018, GDPR come to into effect, there are more and more countries implemented and released as their own data privacy laws, like China, the personal information protection laws has been effective now. And, uh, and based on our study of the various data privacy laws, we saw a trend that many companies are requiring data localizations. So for example, means a game company collected various personal information from their players and for the kind of information the law requires to store in into the server inside of China. And this issue is more sensitive to China company because China has this real name registration requirements. That means every players, when they register a game account, they have to provide their real names, their ID card, and sometimes their phone numbers to the game companies. And all the information are considered as sensitive personal information under China's personal information protection laws. So since the game companies are collecting all the sensitive personal information, there are more and more requirements concerning the cybersecurity and the personal information protections. And this new rules also affected the cooperation between China companies and the foreign game companies for publishing foreign games in China. I don't think many people outside of China would appreciate just how strong the privacy regulations are in China. So I'm glad we touched on that. So our firm recently also released an article talk about, we discussed some of the issues related to uh, the recent issues related to NetE and the Blizzard termination, their cooperation in China for a lot of good game titles like World of Warcraft. We also believe there's the, the one of the key reasons for them that cannot enter into an agreement for the extension is about the data. Oh, wow. I didn't know that's interesting. Yeah. So I think in September 2022, China released a guideline for China company to to transfer data outside of China. The guideline is for, with mainly for the security assessment, how the China companies can submit the security assessments if they want to transfer sensitive personal information to a foreign game company. And the deadline to lead this cross-border data for security assessment is March 1st, 2023. And based on our analysis, we believe based on the previously between NetEat and the Blizzard probably take control and also have the access into various game data and also some of the personal 
data that net is collected inside of China. And with this extension negotiation, we believe that these would like to change that. They, that is probably want to keep all these personal data in, inside of China, but Breezer probably would not want to give up that right. Wow, that's an interesting take. I'll have to go and read the paper to, to find out more. I was curious, if you look at other markets, when regulation comes in, it often raises the cost of doing business, which actually favors the incumbents because they have the scale and the revenues to support the additional expense. Do you think that's going to be the case in China as well? I think that's an interesting question because for basically for all China game companies, I believe they do need to have a close relationship with the government. As I just said, there are local game industry associations and basically all of the local game companies are members to that association. And so those associations will help build the connection between the government, between the regulators and the, the game companies. I think for big game companies, definitely they will have more resources to have more close connection with the regulator for them to understand better about the government's attitude on a specific game, specific question. But I think with this game industry association, that also helps the small game companies to comply with various requirements. Okay. I was just curious to ask that. And then I guess on the subjective side, again, we talked about new game licenses resuming in April, 2022. But I think it wasn't until November, October or November that Tencent and NetEase got new game licenses. Yeah, I think a lot of people mentioned that to me. And also I discussed this with many of our clients. So I, I do, though many people are concerned about Tencent and NetEase or these large companies, they should not get the game approvals. But I think many companies that have the game approvals, they are Tencent invested or NetEase invested companies. I won't say it's technically true that Tencent do not get game approvals. Even I think there are some of the studios Tencent are majority shareholders, some of the studios who get the game approvals. I want to go back to the idea of the policy cycle. And you said earlier that the government changes its tone or the degree of support it shows to the gaming industry in China. Two years ago, we were at the bottom of the cycle and the government wasn't very supportive. But now you think maybe the government is in a more supportive phase of the cycle. What makes you think that? What's the kind of evidence to suggest that? Yeah, yes. I think, I think one month or two months ago, there's one article posted by people.com, which is another government background media in China. They posted an article basically saying that the government should pay attention to the game industry and also the value that the game industry bring to the whole society. So because that article is written by our national own media, so that's one sign. I think the government may already change their attitude to the game industry. But the thing is that right now the game approvals become like more and more regular for example, the domestic games, basically each month, the government will release a batch of approvals for domestic games. And it also has started, restarted issuing boring game approvals. That all the, I think, are good signs. And also in one of the recent reports, 
chaired by another Shia association, they made a statement saying that the anti-addiction problems have been basically resolved. And there's a minor's time that minors spent on, on video games has, has been a significant decrease. In my opinion, I think the most, the biggest challenge for the gaming industry has been resolved, which is the minor protection. So I, in my opinion, at least in the next few years, there won't be any significant unsupportive policy will come out to against the gaming industry. Okay. That's, that's good to know. I'm curious, what will be the next issue that does come up, do you think? Are there any other burning problems that need to be addressed or inconsistencies that need to be resolved? What should we be watching for as people in the industry or following the industry? It's hard for me to think of any specific issues that may come out in the future that the government may want to put more thoughts or put more eye on that. But I, as I just that the biggest issue is the minor protection and the anti-addiction. And the China government has been trying this for almost 15 years. Finally, they resolved these issues. So I think in a short period, you won't, there won't be big impact or big negative policies against game industry. That's what I thought. But I think perhaps NFT games probably will cause some additional attention to the China game brand regulators. And also, I think right now, many companies are also doing the cloud games. And I think many of the cloud games, they probably do not have the game license. And also, there are a lot of VR games or VR platforms. And based on my recent check, many of their, the VR games published on China VR game distribution platforms, they do not have the game license. So perhaps for these new type of games, when they have more customers or get more game players and they impact larger amount of people in China, then the government may pay attention to them. I really think the point that you've been making is quite important that it might've looked like these measures came out of the blue or were put forward very suddenly, but actually in the case of anti-addiction, the government's been trying to figure that out for 15 years, if not longer. Yeah. And also previously, let's say 10 years ago, most of the games are just only PC games or console mm. games at that time, because not that many people have PC because China is a large, com a large country and so many people, only a smaller amount of people have PC. And most of people do not have PC. They can go to the internet cafe to, to play the game. At that time, China government just to prevent people under 18 to go to the internet cafe and that's their main tools to prevent minors to play games. But since 2013 and 2014, there are more and more people playing mobile games and basically everyone in China, they have, has some mobile games. So the real name registration and the anti-addiction becomes a real issue to, to from the China government's perspective. And also from the parents' perspective, they do not have that much control over how their kids play the mobile game. Because when the kids go to school, there's a lot of time the kids are not under the supervision of the mm -hmm. parents. And also, even we will also saw some of the news basically saying that the kids play mobile game until very late night after their parents are asleep, which, which significant affected the kids study 
And also there's a period of time that the kids went, go back from school to, when they get off the schools, they'll go back to their home. There are periods of time and the kids can play games with their friends. So in this period, because of the mobile games, everyone has it. And even the kids, a lot of the kids have it. It's very hard for the parents to supervise when and how the kids are playing the games. So I think 2016 or 2017, there are more and more parents beside the Chinese government and the game company for allowing their kids to play their games. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> I think all parents would say the same. I'm curious, right? So one of the biggest trends in the Chinese gaming market at the moment is the expansion into international markets, like Chinese gaming companies going overseas. How do you see the issues that Chinese gaming companies face when they leave China? For example, if they've grown up in an environment where content is regulated so tightly, is it difficult for them to operate outside of those controls? Like maybe their games don't have the same appeal in other markets, or maybe they're not used to dealing with other regulators. In the past year, the most frequency words I've heard that the China industry practitioner talk about is go overseas. There are a lot of meetings, submit, help, talk about how to help China game companies to, to publish their games outside of China. I think one thing Man China game company is this challenging is the regulatory environment. Because I think right now, most of China companies, their target market are North America and Southeast Asia and Europe. And each of these jurisdictions, they have many countries. And every country, they probably have their own rules about a specific issue. For example, like India, they probably also have some kind of content restrictions. So. One challenge is for the China game company that how to address these concerns from the overseas local government. And because if China game companies, like every other big international game company, they cannot address every issues for every jurisdiction they have. So they, the legal team, they need to evaluate the real, the most one and they need to think now. I would, uh, it's not so important and can get on later. Yeah, so that's one challenge we have, I've seen people talked about. And then the other thing that people talk about is because right now there are more and more Chinese companies go overseas. So the overseas market right now is full of Chinese players. Mm -hmm. So they are, it becomes more and more competitive. So it's not easy for, right now it's not an easy place for China game companies yeah, to go overseas. Yes, right now, too many people are already in that, in there. Yeah. Sounds like a red ocean. Yeah, red ocean. What's motivating them to go overseas? So one thing we think is the suspension of the game approvals. Since August of July, 2021, no game approval has been made. And it significantly impacts the product lines of China companies. So China companies right now, they started to see to publish their game outside of China, which is do not have that many regulatory challenges. And also I think China government is also encourage China game companies to, to publish their game outside of China. One thing is that many of China game companies, the game built by China game company, they have many elements of China's traditional culture and the mm -hmm. government. I use 
game as a tool to bring Chinese culture to the world. Yeah, I've actually seen a number of Western games recently based in the Three Kingdoms universe. And it's interesting to, to see that like in English. Yes, and also, I think, do you know Jason Impact, developer by Mihoyo? Of course. Yeah, so for that game, also, I'm a player of Jason Impact, and a lot, a lot of my friends also play. Many people that I know, they all think it is very good for Jinfei Impact to bring Chinese culture to the world because they have so many characters designed based on the China, China traditional character or traditional history and bring that to the world. And I do believe the government also think that is a good thing. I agree with you. That game has been phenomenally successful and it really does showcase like the best of the talent in China. I think it's probably the most successful Chinese game internationally ever, actually. Yeah, I do, I do think so. So I, I think that's one reason why the government should be supportive, if I just had to speculate. Because, yeah, as you say, it is an important cultural export. In the same way that like America exports Disney, China can maybe export its culture through video games. Yeah, yeah, probably. Okay. I highly recommend to everyone that they read the sixth edition of your gaming primer because it's very well researched and very easy to read and very informative too. So great work with that, Charles. And I'm sure anyone who needs help navigating the, uh, the gaming industry and the regulations in China would do well to speak with you. So thank you again. I just have one, one final question for you. So you mentioned you played Genshin Impact. What other games do you like to play? Yeah, I think right now, Genshin Impact is probably the only mobile game in my Hopeful. I used to play World of Warcraft and also play other PC games like Guild War 2. So the traditional RPG games on PC. But right now, since I become a lawyer, so it was last time to play games. <laughs> yeah. I can understand that. I can totally understand that. All right. Thank you again, Charles. It's been such a pleasure to speak with you. And I'll put your contact details in the show notes so that anyone who's interested can reach out to you. Okay. Thank you, Graham. Great. Thank you. And uh, if you enjoyed this podcast and would like to hear more, come check out my site too, www.longriverinv.com. Thanks everyone and safe investing.